uh, welcome back to Real Perspective, the podcast based on a YouTube show based on a podcast. It's been a minute. Uh, sorry about that. I've been moving. Um, I unexpectedly had some stuff come up <laughs> in my life and had to move, but uh, I'm all moved in. I'm all settled in. This is the first episode being recorded in our super secret new location. Uh, as always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Michael Morey. And we're here to talk about that very timely thing that everyone's excited about, the State of the Union Address. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, that four-month-old Netflix show, um, Stranger <laughs> Things 2. This is an episode we've wanted to do for a long time and haven't had a lull in our schedule to do so. Um with like the end of the year, like Star Wars just kind of dominated December mm -hmm. for us. And then an end of year wrap up happened uh, a couple weeks ago. And now there's kind of nothing till Black Panther yeah. um, that I think either one of us wants to talk about. Nope. <laughs> um, like Den of Thieves looks like a good trashy heat ripoff. And that's about <laughs> it. Um, <clears throat> I kind of want to see Hostels though. Oh yeah. I want to see that too. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I, so I sprint marathoned all the best picture nominees that uh -huh. came here I've seen all nine of them, mm -hmm. which I've never done before, especially before the show. Yeah. Uh, I was very surprised by the ones I liked. Basically, I liked four of them, mm -hmm. and the rest I feel completely nothing about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, The Post, Phantom Thread, Three Billboards, and Get Out. Oh, and Dunkirk. I liked yeah. Dunkirk. Okay. So, five of them. Okay. I really liked five of them, and then... Felt literally nothing about four of them. Okay. Um, and w walked out of the theater going, that happened. Uh, <laughs> Darkest Hour, Gary Oldman better get his Oscar. Mm -hmm. Although I wouldn't be too upset if Daniel Day-Lewis got one for Phantom. Phantom Thread was the best time I had at a movie this year. Wow, okay. It was hilarious, man. Hilarious? That's it was what I was expecting to hear about that movie. One of the funniest movies I think I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. If it were... So there were only... Five people in the theater. It was me and my wife, one lady in front of us, and a super old couple in, in front of her. And a phantom thread that you couldn't see. <laughs> yep. And uh, uh, us and the lady in front of us were cracking up. Huh. And the old people did not appreciate that one bit. Which is crazy, because the movie's hysterical. And at the end of the movie, if it had been the three of us in the theater... I would have been cry laughing. I was laughing so hard at the final moments of that movie. Huh. It's hilarious. It's super twisted. It's got a really messed up sense of humor. Yeah. But man, it's funny. Okay. Yep. I was not... I. That's not what I was expecting from that. It was... You know, here's the thing, too, is I like Paul Thomas Anderson, but for mm -hmm. some reason wasn't super looking forward to this one. I like all of... I like or love all of his movies, like, across the board. And <laughs> what? I'm not so much of a fan of some of his stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't like Magnolia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although, but I still really like certain parts of Magnolia. I really mm -hmm. like Tom Cruise in that movie. I want to like his stuff. I just uh, there's always something frustrating about his movies too. <laughs> okay. What What have you seen of his? Um, There Will Be Blood. Oh, okay. Uh. I like part of that, but I also feel like it's really ponderous. Sure. And then uh, The Master. Uh-huh. I like part of that, but then I feel like it's really ponderous. Sure. <laughs> it's, uh, maybe there's a constant, consistent theme here. Yeah. Uh, I think you would like Punch Drunk Love. 
Yeah, I need it's, to go check that it's out. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. It's his shortest movie. I think that's that's what I would like. Is yeah. I, I feel like his movies just need to be a little bit tighter and leaner. Yeah. Um, I feel like you would like that a lot, actually. Okay. That's my favorite of his. Uh-huh. Um, not a popular choice for favorite Paul Thomas Anderson, but that was the one that really opened my mind up when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. It was... A movie, you know, as sort of a 16-year-old boy, you like Adam Sandler. Yeah. And as sort of a budding movie buff, I was like, what's this weird drama thing he's in? Uh-huh. I liked Jim Carrey uh, in Truman Show. Right. Let me try this other comedian who I like in a dramatic role. And I was like, oh, crap, a movie can be that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what a movie can be? Mm-hmm. And I just had no idea. So I think there's a lot of maybe nostalgia um, that gives me to, that, that precludes me to really liking most of his his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Phantom Thread, if, like, Phantom Thread is, I feel like, the underrated gem of the Best Picture nominees. Huh. Uh, I, didn't, I did not expect it to be, to come as highly recommended from me as it does. Like, I want to see it again. The post is great. It's freaking Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Like, wh- yeah. what did you expect? Um, the post is my favorite one still because, well, Spielberg. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, that was like a short. I'm not going to do a full best picture thing because, like, half of them I would just be like, whatever. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't make for interesting podcasting. But the three I really liked were, were those three. Uh, Phantom Thread, I feel like. I recommend the most and the least all at the same time. Hmm. Um, it made me cackle and 90% of the people listening would hate it. I feel like <laughs> um, the post really accessible, very unsubtle, even for Spielberg. What I will say is unsubtle times call for unsubtle movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll let you take that how you will. <laughs> um, but, it's, I don't know, man. I, that that Spielberg's good at directing. I don't know if you knew that. Eh, I've heard. <laughs> so, uh, mini podcast at the beginning of the podcast uh, about Best Picture stuff. Not going to do a full Oscars podcast this year. Don't really care about that many of the nominees. <laughs> um, though, Baby Driver, three Oscar nominations. Um, in all the technical categories, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah so uh because oscar season is kind of light this year um as far as our reaction to it um this is seems as good a time as any to talk about stranger things Mm too um it's still going to be around and they're definitely doing two more seasons at least is what i've heard um i would say at least and also uh definitely that's it i've heard rumors that they're gonna go five but i don't think think that's i don't think the duffers i don't think the duffers would let that happen no um so stranger things is this show i'm sure you've heard of it it's this netflix original and it kind of came out like it it, it came out in 2016 Mm -hmm. and it just kind of showed up yep um like they didn't market it really at all i didn't see a single trailer for it Mm -hmm. i found out about it via twitter um one of the film critics i follow on twitter was like i'm gonna check out the stranger things show seems like something i would be into and he posted a screenshot of um dustin in his hat with his no teeth and was like this kid rules and i was like that looks like i don't know i like that kid's hat like i just like the way that kid looks in this picture Uh and uh one sunday morning before church 
my wife and I woke up way too early for church. We were up way earlier than what time we had to be there. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember if wires got crossed with our alarms or what. And I was like, let's try this Stranger Things show. I'd heard about it that Friday. And uh, we booted it up. And that opening scene happened where the dude gets eaten by the Demogorgon in the lab. Yeah. And I was like, can we skip church and watch the rest <laughs> of this? Like, I was obsessed from the opening seconds mm -hmm. of that show. Like, I was like, oh, this is extremely my jam. Yeah. <laughs> like, immediately. And why is it your jam? Because uh, it's, well, okay. So this th that's something I want to camp on before we talk about Stranger Things 2. Yeah. It is this, like, 80s Spielberg homage thing, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. But it's so... It's recycled in such a smart way mm -hmm. um, that it, it, it's, like, also the, its own fresh thing all at the same time. Yep. Um, you know, they take all the... And, like, you steal from... Those are good stores, sources to steal from. Yeah. But usually when people steal from them, and people steal from them a lot, JJ, and <laughs> when you just do it wholesale, mm -hmm. it's disingenuous. But when you're like, oh, let's take the opening shark attack from Jaws and kind of put it, crossbreed it with this sort of Jurassic Park industrial setting opening. Yep. And then make it in this, like, secret underground lab, actually, mm -hmm. that fits our own story. And you put all that in the blender, you come out with something that, like, feels really cool. Yeah. Um, so from that moment forward, I was hooked. I started posting about it obsessively on social media. I was like, you guys got to check this thing out. This is a crazy good show. I wouldn't shut up about it. And for the one of the only times, I had, like, a huge response on it. A lot of people... It just kind of got it, its hooks in me, and then yeah. I told the other people to go let it get its hooks in them, and they did, mm -hmm. which doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I recommend a lot of media on this show, and almost never do I hear back about it. And for some reason, people responded to this recommendation from me, and a lot of people were like, you're the reason I started watching Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Almost 100% of the people who have told me they obs they're obsessed with the show now got that way because they saw me post about it for the first time on facebook and i've had way more people than anything else come and be like i started watching that because you said it was good mm -hmm. and then i started watching it and it's good um so with that being said what is it uh, well so one what is your <laughs> uh, history with stranger things and two what is it about stranger things that you think really like just kind of hit the the culture at the time answer the first question i was actually resistant to watching it until summer of last year around like august okay. so i waited basically an entire year to go and see it because i knew the second season was coming out like a month after mm -hmm. I, I would probably finish it and so i got to kind of see both of them in relative proximity to each other um so that was my experience is like, all right, I guess I'll give this a shot. What the heck? Like, mm -hmm. that trailer for the second season looked really cool. Oh, that Comic-Con trailer was yeah, the Comic -Con. one of the best trailers of last year, yeah. if not the best trailer of last year. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, I also saw someone respond to that and say that like, it, that trailer wasn't cool and it was super derivative and stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, just using, like, a pop song. No, that was expertly <laughs> yeah. weaved into that trailer. It was perfect. Um, but besides just that, 
I decided to go and give it a shot, and I was hooked too. And since then, I've been hooked. Yeah. Um, so that's the answer to the first question. The second question, I don't know. I mean, you said it well. It's, it is the blender of all these things that interest me anyway, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel derivative. Right. Uh, it feels original and fresh still. Right. And I think it harkens back to this feeling that we had um, when we first watched E.T. Mm-hmm. or something like that. These like 80s kid adventure shows. Right. Um, but, okay, but here's the thing. Yeah. I don't like E.T. and uh-huh. I don't like the Goonies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like the Goonies. I like E.T. Um, but it has like this feeling of... I don't want to say nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's not just nostalgia. It, yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, but it, it gets at this this feeling that like you've been missing. I feel like in mm-hmm. in cinema and television, um, it's kind of an adventurous spirit mm-hmm. um, that we lack and is is very that we kind of recall from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what draws me in. I think what draws other people in is. That, but it's also done in a long-form storytelling where you get to spend time with these people and these characters and these kids. But not just the kids, the adults who are also well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. And that's the contrast to a lot of those 80s kid-type movies where the adults are always idiots, basically. Right. Um, so there's something a little bit for everybody, uh, families uh, and adults. And I think that's what really goes and furthers the interest in it which is that it's like the thing in the 80s that you remember but actually has more depth to it yeah it's more mature than that yeah. stuff but it's what you constructed in your head as what those things were as yeah. you grew up and kind of look back on them and think of them more highly than maybe they even were in some ways yeah i agree with that i also i like what you said that the show is for families because it's it, it's it's kind of an intense show. It is. But it's not all at the same time. Yeah. It, it, it hits this perfect tonal balance of, like, being a show that is scary at times, but mm. it's not overly scary. It's not really that gory. There's a couple episodes in yeah. season two where they amp it up, but the idea is that you're growing up with the show, mm. right? As the kids are growing up, your kids are growing up. We don't have kids, but... Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it is scary, but it's that, like, fun kid scary. Yeah, and that kind of... That morbid kid scary, yeah, that, like that we grew up with in the early '90s, where yeah. we, like we watched like scary stuff that maybe was a little bit older than older than it was for, or aimed at an older audience, but like our generation latched onto that kind of stuff. I, yeah. mean, I watched Terminator too, yeah, when I was like four, yeah, you know, or whatever. Or people would watch RoboCop in the '80s, yeah, when they or were like kids. Predator, or Alien, yeah, yeah. Like, and those kind of things. There's something that was kind of attractive about that. Because it's cool. Yeah, like, it, it looks cool. Like, there was something attractive about, like, watching also, that was meant to be a little bit older than what you were. That, and I feel like you can't name a movie Robocop and not yeah. expect a big kid audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, true. It's not, like, always for families. I mean, you're dealing with, like, these teenagers who are having, you know, sex capades with each other right. and stuff like that. But it's not, but, like... But, crazy you no, know it's, it's not, not like crazy. a skin flick and no. it's not you know it, it's pretty like tame especially comparatively right um and like the the scary elements are nothing scarier than like 
what a kid convinces themselves is in their room at night, which could, mm-hmm. you know could lead to problems depending on the age and maturity level of your child. Yeah, but like for anyone twelve and up, they, it should be just like catnip to them. Yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> so season one comes in with no marketing. I mean, word of mouth. That's how I heard about it. Word of mouth is how other people told me they heard about it from my word of mouth. And, like, it was this, like, pay it forward of ratings <laughs> that happened. And it became, like, a thing. Yeah, it was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, holy moly. And, like, it was crazy because it became, like, a thing. But it was, there was no irony. There was no hipsterism about mm-hmm. it. Like, technically, I was a Stranger Things hipster, right? Mm-hmm. I got on board week one. Like, first week and it was out two days after they released it on Netflix, started watching episode one and was immediately hooked. But there was no, like, this is ours. It was like, everyone, come here. Come look at this. Come watch this thing and experience it. Mm-hmm. And, like, the culture at large just latched onto it. And so it was, you know, this, it just became a thing. Yeah. And a stranger thing. <laughs> you were too <laughs> pleased with yourself when you said it. <laughs> I'm mad at the face you made. <laughs> uh, um, and so, so, at, as it kind of snowballed into this thing, I was worried it would become this thing that was ruined by its fans. Yeah. This, like, firefly, mm-hmm. um, this fireflying of Stranger Things mm-hmm. that made me actually second guess whether or not it was good at a certain point. Yeah. Um, it became so popular, which is fandoms that ruin their own (laughs) franchises. And like the fans really aren't that cancerous of the show. There's just a lot of them. Yeah. Um, the, the fandom's pretty tame, Mm -hmm. um, for comparatively Mm -hmm. to a lot of these. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the worst part about it is this justice for Barb crap. Yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding. I I wasn't super into Barb. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. However, (laughs) We'll talk about this in a second. Freaking justice for Bob. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, but that was, like, the worst it got, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like almost that was tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. And so some people actually started taking it seriously, which is yeah. weird. But, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, And so leading up to season two, I was, I was like, a little weary. Um, you know, shows often... There were, there were some marks against it, right? Um, not in the quality of the show. Season one's excellent, but it was just like a lot of these shows come out, have really strong first seasons, don't mm-hmm. do as well the second season. You know, we've, we've, we, I think almost every fan, though I like the show Lost, I think every fan of this sort of really expansive narrative storytelling has these sort of like, this is almost lost PTSD of like, are they going to really muck this up? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you just, there's a little bit of cynicism, I think, that was creeping into into the, my approach to the show before in the year between season one dropping and season two dropping. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> at the same time, I devoured news about this season, man. Like, oh, really? Every casting uh, announcement, every like TV spot, they did that. I remember, uh, like way overreacting on super bowl sunday when they showed the first teaser mm-hmm. and i like I'm not proud of this i yelled at Kristen because she didn't tell me that the stranger things 2 trailer was on and i was getting food <laughs> um and uh 
then that Comic-Con trailer happened. Yeah. And it was set to this remix of Thriller by Michael Jackson uh-huh. that I didn't pick up on until the Vincent Price narration kicked in. First off, that's the only chunk of the song they really used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just hype level a million. Like, it, yeah. it, seeing that trailer, like, did away with any sort of cynicism I had towards the show. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it that trailer friggin' steamrolled me man yep. i mean that was it was a big day for trailers ready player one's first trailer came mm-hmm. out that day there were a couple other there was like the that offensively long justice league trailer came out that day it was the <laughs> big like trailer day for comic-con and that one was like stood head and shoulders above any of the trailers that came out that day mm-hmm. and like i remember i remember watching that and having a physical reaction to it i was just like oh crap like i'm dead cause of death this trailer you know um and so headed into season two i was i was chomping at the bit for it man i was so hyped about it and that was the only other trailer i watched was that one uh season two happened it's better than the first season man i agree with you Although I feel like someone's have to go and come like provide some sort of counterpoint or something like that because I think my general opinion or my the general consensus seems to be that it was a little bit weaker it mm-hmm. seems like to me right. than the first season so I guess maybe I'll play devil's advocate a little bit with you but just know that I actually <laughs> like the second season more than the first so season two starts off with this um, episode called Mad Max it takes place a year after the events of the the first season um we're basing this on you guys having seen the show already yeah um so we're not going to get into a lot of plot details spooky crap happens to kids in the 80s that's like yeah. that's that's about what you're gonna get mm-hmm. and there's like and the reason the spooky stuff happens is because there's a secret lab mm-hmm. uh that they weren't able to contain their interdimensional monsters basically basically yeah. um and then there's kids with superpowers too yes um that that lab sometimes uses to try to access the dimension where all the creatures came from Uh, um and so at the heart of it is this kid will right he gets taken in the first season into it's called the upside down or in in the show it's called the upside down he gets taken into this alternate dimension and then one of the telekinetic kids or one of the kids with special powers Mm -hmm. uh also escapes from the lab and meets up with this group of kids as they're trying to find their friend will and you know, they quickly realize that their fates are linked yeah. um, to each other. So this is a year after all that happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eleven has gone missing. Um, Will is back, but he's starting to get these crazy visions mm-hmm. um, of, you know, death and decay in their town of Hawkins, Indiana. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we get introduced to this new character, this girl named Max um who is you know the new the new girl in town she doesn't really know anything that happened we find out some more stuff on the end of the lab um the characters have progressed a year and i think one of the things that i really love about the season is it feels like it you know what i mean Mm. like the kids look visibly older yes um the you know Winona Ryder's character is trying to get some sort of normalcy back in her mm-hmm. life so she starts dating Bob who's played by Sean Astin which is like this great 80s nostalgia nod because he was one of the Goonies mm-hmm. and 
Um, he's awesome in it. He's so good in the show. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it just feels like the time has passed. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest strengths of season two of Stranger Things is they built this really great realistic fantasy world in season one. And in this one, it feels like it's continued for a year. Yeah. It feels like it has a life yeah. of its own. Yeah. And that's something I really appreciate. Sometimes one of my problems with different kinds of fictional universes is a sense that you kind of don't like feel like anyone actually lives outside of the movie that you're watching. Uh-huh. Like they don't have a personal life. They don't have relationships or anything like that that go on outside of what you're seeing. This show doesn't have that problem. Yeah. It feels like you just kind of get to peer into one week of these people's lives. And it's the craziest week of their lives always. Right. But you get the sense that something else is happening behind the scenes after it's all done in between these seasons, which is cool. Right. So as the season progresses, Will starts seeing more and more of these visions. And he eventually gets, uh, it starts using him to spy on uh, the kids. And I think essentially trying to figure out where Eleven is because it knows that Eleven is the threat. Right. Um, on the other end of the coin, you have Eleven story where she's now living with Hooper, Hopper, sorry. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, Hooper's a character in Jaws. I'm almost positive Hopper is named after him because they couldn't name him Chief Brady. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, so I feel like he is Chief Brody from Jaws, but with a variation on Hooper's name. I do not have confirmation on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the reference point for Hopper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost positive <laughs> it's the reference point for Hopper. Um, so she's living with Hopper. I'm going to get his name wrong most of the show, by the way. Uh, she's living with Hopper, and they have, like, a dad-daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. In the first season, we learned that Hopper lost his daughter. So, like, it's, it's this really great world building. Yep. So good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Elle eventually goes out and tries to find out more about herself, meets up with another telekinetic kid, and uh, eventually comes back and saves the day with her friends from the first one. This is one of my favorite things in the season. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing people hate the most. Eighth episode? Yeah. Or ninth episode? The, the second to last episode. Yeah. Yeah. And any other show would have been like, how do we get Elle back to the kids? Like, mm-hmm. she has to be part of, she has to be part of this group no matter what. And the Duffer Brothers did not take that route. They were, they earned it so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, now in Elle's arc, people are critical of the the seventh episode because it, it just focuses on her, kind of in the middle of all the other stuff happening with the main group of kids. Right. Um, like right when the main group of kids storyline kind of just peaks. Yeah. And then you have a cliffhanger. Then you go into L for 60 minutes on some sort of side story. Right. Right. But it's kind of not a side story. I agree with you on that. <laughs> um, it's, it's so connected. Yeah. Like, without that episode, there's no motivation for L to go back to them. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, without that episode, it's just like, she goes to see her mom. Now she's here. Yeah. You know? Like, it's so important to give that episode right then because it's how she goes back to them it's what motivates her to go back Mm -hmm. because at a certain point it seems like she's contented to just kind of be like oh i'm gonna go find out about myself yeah and that's it and so then if you take away that episode 
and you just have her have to visit her mom and then she's just like back with the gang kicking mm-hmm. ass there's no arc to l anymore. right there's nothing well not to mention i think you have that episode which is a bottle episode i guess you could say in some mm-hmm. ways with dealing with just her issues you have that as like an immediate contrast to what happens with the kids mm-hmm. after or beforehand in terms of like showing her a possible life that she could live mm-hmm. with this other group of kids and rejects basically and then you have her reject that and then go and be back with the people that she was with before her friends who have become our family basically and i think you kind of see how okay the kids on their own without l aren't strong enough mm-hmm. l without the kids the rest of the kids the boys strong. aren't strong enough yeah. and then together they are strong enough you need that kind of break in between them to really deal with that difference right in their quality of life without each other right so what is it that makes this season stronger than the first one then okay in my opinion i think it's the fact that you go and brought it up which is you have to see some time and progression i feel like this season allows itself to breathe a little bit more Mm -hmm. um i think the fact that we don't have to set up these characters anymore lets them grow as kids first of all Mm -hmm. um and as adults with the older characters and so we don't have to go and just have, uh, what is it, when a writer's character just oh, be yeah. this like one note stock shrieking mom. Yeah. You know, she kind of gets to go and demonstrate other layers to her now that we've kind of gotten past that initial, yeah. this is who she is. I think um, Dustin, for example, is another character who really benefits from having some more time. Rather than just being the kind of the precocious boy that we all kind of think is funny and all that stuff, he actually gets to go and show a little bit more depth in terms of his interest in girls and his kind of dealing with growing up and be, with, right. and kind of maybe growing a little bit distance from his friends. And then all the friends have these kind of connections where they're growing distant in some ways, right. but they still remain friends with each other. Right. And then obviously we have, um, crap, What's, Will? who's uh, the, the kid with the bat? Why am I completely skipping out his name oh, right now? Oh, gosh. Steve? Steve, yes. Thank you. Steve, a.k.a. I you the meant... best character. Dude, oh, freaking Steve, Like, man. we get to spend more time with him and show more sides to him, which is, honestly, this guy went from being, a, speaking of one-note stock character, yeah. someone who, you know, you would think is a complete douchebag to being probably the most likable character in the show. He's so great in season two, man. Mm-hmm. And so the extra time that we Also, Hopper's the best them, character. Hopper's, yeah, Hopper's. <laughs> I take that back. You're right. Um, but the extra time we get to spend with them, I think, is what makes this season a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. Is that we kind of move beyond just the stock horror trope characters. Right. Um, I agree with all that. I think also something important about it, it goes deeper, and it doesn't go too much wider. Yeah. We don't get a lot of new characters. We get... Max, mm-hmm. her boy, her brother. I mean, we get her brother. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of um, Caleb is the actor's name. Lucas. Lucas's characters. Yeah. Family. We get his sister, who's great, and his mom, mm-hmm. um, who's his parents were. His parents and Dustin's parents were conspicuously absent during the first season. We get yep. Dustin's mom and their cat and their cat, <laughs> um, Muse. Yeah. Uh, who meets an unfortunate fate and uh you know that's kind of it oh we get bob oh uh, we also get like a good scientist in the form of paul reiser's character, yes which i also liked that which is that they didn't go and revert back to just having the, all the scientists being evil again i feel like paul reiser's character is actually a good guy yeah which i appreciate it so even he's like a good guy who makes dumb decisions yes yeah yeah and, but it feels like 
they kind of move beyond just some of the simpler tropes that they were dealing with in the first season and they kind of find a way to give everybody their own little arc again mm -hmm. um and, I, and that's also reflected in, in my opinion is in the fact that uh all the different strands of the storyline all progress the story at the same pace one yeah. of my problems with the first season is is um okay nancy and jonathan's story in the first season mm -hmm. Is actually like moving at a slower pace than where everybody else is. Yeah. So they're like learning things that are hap that's happening around the town, like two episodes later than everybody else. So as an audience member, like, okay, well, so what? Like now, I guess they're on the same page, but yeah. Like, versus this season, they're doing stuff in terms of trying to reveal the secrets about the lab and all that sort of thing, at the same pace as where everybody else is at, maybe in a different direction. And so it doesn't feel like you're wasting as much time when you go and cut back to another character. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated that. Too. Yeah. The pacing was better with different story strands. Yeah. Well, and then Nancy and Jonathan's story gets to expand a lot more when they go visit the conspiracy journalist yeah. guy. But it does, like you said, happen at the same pace. Mm -hmm. And that goes from not casting such a wide net. You know, we're not seeing episodes from the upside down's perspective and doing these crazy flashbacks to what was actually going on with Matthew Modine's character in the yeah. first season. And then seeing like where Paul Reiser's backstory was, you mm. know, we, it doesn't cast this huge net where it feels like it has to give us the backstory of every single one of these new characters and find out their inner lives and where they came from and get like bogged up in its own BS. Uh, it just kind of continues the main story, like, of these kids. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happens these new players are a part of it. Yep. And some of them seem like they're here to stay, and some of them are gone yep. by the end of it, you know? Um, I think that's a really, really, really smart way to tell television. Now, I think in a movie, it's the opposite. Um, you know, for as similar as they are in that they are things you watch... Um, television movies are different mediums mm -hmm. and I think the Duffer brothers are so specifically talented and suited to this episodic, you know, nine hour version of storytelling that I almost don't want to see them make movies. No, I don't want to either. Um, and we'll talk more about them in a second because they're they're the lifeblood of the show, hands mm. down. They're the reason the show works top to bottom as well as it does. But with, because they're so adept at it, um, they know what works, and they've they've done this thing where they've taken their influences and they wear them on their sleeve, and they've taken the this inspiration from them and hidden nods to them throughout their series without wholesale lifting things mm -hmm. from them, you know? It, it still feels like the Duffer Brothers' idea. It feels like their show. It feels like their vision. And it just so happens there are visual, auditory, casting nods to these sort of iconic 80s things yeah. that they grew up loving. Yeah. You know, whereas with... I know I already made fun of him, but, like, JJ, it's just, like, this, like, fetishistic... Thing yeah. about Steven Spielberg. Like, here's this thing. I have emulated it perfectly. Yeah. Don't you love it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, well, you didn't like capture the feeling though. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. The heart. Exactly. Because it doesn't feel like your idea. Yeah. And this captures it because it feels like their idea. It feels like it's coming from somewhere. It feels like it's coming place. Yeah. It feels like it's coming from someone who had an idea. Like it yeah. feels like it's coming from someone who had a thought uh -huh. and then they 
ran that thought by another person and yeah. then they made it happen. Yeah. You know, and they were like, let's do this by way of mm-hmm. these things we love. And then it becomes its own thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there's stuff even in the first season that, like, I haven't really, like, communicating via the Christmas lights was great. Yeah. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, redeeming the douchey character in Steve. Like, yep. turning him into kind of a badass. Like, that's great. Yeah. That's, like, we never get to see that in the 80s movies. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're always just kind of, like, jerk. Yeah. Gets his comeuppance over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, Steve grows and, like, has heart-to-hearts with the kids. And yeah. he's, like, awesome. Uh, and even the new jerk. Yeah. Like, he get he gets this arc and this backstory. And, you know, you don't... <laughs> like... You don't get everything about you him. You don't get everything about him, but he's he he's still around. Yeah. You know, we can we can explore him in season three. He doesn't get the redemption arc that Steve gets in season one, but mm-hmm. that's fine. Like he's a different creature. Yeah. You know, he's a different person. Um it's just so well executed top to bottom, man. Mm-hmm. The show is just excellent. Like the storytelling's great. Uh it's really efficient. It's what, nine episodes in each season? Yeah. Well, the first season was eight. The first season is eight episodes. This one's nine episodes. Yeah. Netflix does this thing where most of their shows are 13 episodes. Mm-hmm. That's at least six episodes too long yeah. <laughs> um, for most of these shows. I haven't finished any of the Marvel Netflix shows because really? they're 13 episodes, man. Mm-hmm. There's maybe eight episodes worth of content in any of the. Uh, okay. So I have only tried to watch Daredevil season one, mm-hmm. which people say is the best of them. And I don't like it, which means I probably would hate the other ones. Yep. Uh, I think Daredevil's really slow. I think it's really boring. Uh, I think there's great characters in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is a actually a decent central story in it. I think there are too many filler episodes yep. in that crap. Uh, Bloodline is another show that Netflix did that I watched like half of one episode with my parents and got super into. It's this like great soapy like family drama thing it's way too melodramatic and way too soap opery and it's great it's got this great tone about it but then you have actors like kyle chandler and ben mendelson who are like great actors Mm. um and so they kind of elevate this sort of they make it this like really pulpy thing that i love um 13 episode seasons man fell out after nine yeah i was like i watched it and i was like i'm super into this i'm gonna I'm going to go home and watch this. I'm mm-hmm. like, started watching it. Couldn't do it. Yeah. After nine, I was like, I got nothing. Like, I don't want to continue this. No, the story's run out of scenes. doesn't have that problem. Nope. I, just, I feel like each season was the appropriate length. Yep. Although, you know, playing devil's advocate, I have heard from some people, and this especially with regards to the second season, it takes a little too long for the mystery to go and reveal itself in mm-hmm. the second season. And, um, well, some people feel like the mystery itself is kind of already been shown in the first season. So now we're just kind of dealing with in the second season. Well, okay, so now there's not a demigorgon, but there's this mind flayer shadow monster right. thing. And it kind of gets resolved in the same way, which is, well, Levin comes back and she goes and beats the thing. And that's what kind of the reductionist argument to the season yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, and I can see that. I can kind of understand that. Like, are we, are we going to go through this every season where it's like, every everything's at peace. And then, but there's something bad lurking underneath the surface, and they're da- upside down, is trying to do something. Oh, Eleven comes and solves the day. Yay! You know, I can see where that criticism kind of lies. So, what I'll say to that is, 
the first part of that argument is doesn't make any sense to me because okay. if you look at it it's divided into perfect thirds because mm-hmm. it's nine episodes yeah so you get a three episode first act a three mm-hmm. episode second act and a three episode third act. yeah and with a little bit of an epilogue tagged onto the ninth episode so yeah like quote halfway through the season is when the main story kicks in mm-hmm. but like we're not doing nothing for the first yeah. three episodes well to me my rebuttal to it is that I like those first three episodes from the standpoint that it lets like the world kind of breathe for a little bit, yeah. and I get to see these kids actual grow, actually yeah. growing up. Because yeah, the mystery and the horror aspect or whatever supernatural aspect is interesting, but I kind of just like watching these characters interact with each the other. The characters are great. Like, t- there's not a bad character in the show. Mm-hmm. There's not a character I don't like. Yeah, even the characters I'm not supposed to like. Yeah, like, <laughs> I just kind of like them going and doing Halloween. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's a good episode, man. Yeah, and so to me, it didn't bother me that it was slow. Like, yeah. I'm not even trying to argue whether or not it is slow. I right. just think, well, regardless, I just kind of enjoyed watching it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And then the 11 saves the day thing is BS because, uh, yes and no. Like, she's not the one responsible for getting the mind flare out of Will. Like, that's all on the human side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... The, the will's entire arc is deeply personal in it yeah. um and you know his resolution for how he deals with the monster this time is almost disconnected from l yeah um it's certainly way more disconnected than it was in the first season mm-hmm. um and it goes back to what i was saying before which is that it, i think it balanced the storylines mm-hmm. of people better because what happened in the first season was you had uh nancy and jonathan like, they go and fight the Demigorgon with the bat and, like, accomplishes nothing. Right. Like, absolutely nothing, really. Right. And then it goes to the school and that's when it's dealt with and that's right. it. This one, you actually have, like, some of the adults dealing with Will and they go and contribute just as much to whatever's happening mm-hmm. as the people who are fighting the Mind Flayer um, with Eleven. Right. So there's a better balancing, in my opinion, when it comes to the ending. There's having everybody contribute, like, a significant part. Yeah. Um, also, that episode where they do that is one of the best exorcism scenes I've ever seen in it's something. Good. It's awesome. It yeah. takes this, like it takes the contrap the, 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 the conventions. I almost said the trappings and the, <laughs> and the conventions all at the same time and said the contraptions, <laughs> uh, the conventions of traditional exorcism scenes uh-huh. and makes them kind of not like they're, they're It's not an exorcism. It's, this thing isn't necessarily a demon as far as we know. We don't know either way. Mm-hmm. And it's not exhibiting traditional possession like mechanics. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing isn't talking through well. It sort of is. But, you know, it, it, it's not. It's just using them for surveillance more than yeah. anything. Whereas, you know, if you go and watch demon possession movies, it's to get to our world. It's to you know interfere in the lives of the people mm-hmm. surrounded by the possessed in this it's trying to see where it can go safely yeah um and so it's it's this cool like looks like an exorcism isn't actually technically an exorcism mm-hmm. and that kid that plays will is an awesome actor yes he is he's so good yeah um that's the other thing i think that goes a long way all the kids are excellent. Yeah, I was going to get into that, actually. They're all good. I feel like that kind of goes without saying. As far as That's the reason why it took so long for us to say it. Yeah. Um, it's something that we all, I think, culture is commonly accepted. Yeah. But it's worth noting, which is that they're all good, and that goes a long way. Yeah. 
And they also did a really good job. You know, the, it, Mike was kind of the focus of last season. Mm-hmm. And he got popular off of it. Yeah. Because he's a good actor. Right. He was off filming it for a good chunk of this one. Mm. They did a really good job hiding that. Yep. The only reason I thought about it is because I willed myself into thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, <laughs> get it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I and, and it, the, the, it, the season two came out pretty shortly after it came out. Yeah. So that kid's performance in it was pretty fresh in everyone's mind. And so for me, I was like, well, these must have been filming at the same time. And watching it, I was like, oh, they did a good job hiding him. He's basically just in the hospital with Will, so he only had to go to one location for most of the shoot. But they do a good job of still having him contribute significantly Mm -hmm. in those scenes, which I think a lot of movies and television shows don't when they have someone. Perfect example, my roommates were watching Kingsman 2. I liked that movie. My least favorite thing about it was Channing Tatum's arc, which was, I'm here till I have to film Logan Lucky. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's his entire character in that Uh movie. Um, You know, he shows up, does some stuff at the end of the first act, gets taken out and has to be put on ice Mm -hmm. till the beginning of the third act. Shows up, helps him, saves the day, and now he's going to be the focus of the third movie. And it's like, that was unearned completely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, these movies came out within two months of each other, so it's pretty obvious why you were gone for the middle of the freaking movie. Yeah. Um, And they didn't do that in this, and I I thought that was good. Uh, The music? Yeah, music's fantastic. Direction is great. Yep. Um, There's some shots in it that were just... They made me smile. Mm-hmm. And can I talk about the, like the very end of the yeah yeah the very end of the show? Um, first of all, the last ten minutes are perfect. <laughs> the prom, opinion. the prom is just great. Yeah, this wraps up all these characters with such like nice so, little bows. I'll blow that out into the last two episodes are perfect. Yeah, and I it's agree just payoff after pay. Like yeah. it feels like you're on the loosest slots in Vegas, right. man. Like it's just like jackpot here and here and here and all yeah. these things set up. Like it's just dominoes falling mm-hmm. having steve and dustin interact in like the last two episodes yeah especially were great um obviously all the stuff going on with l is great um but the prom scene is just perfect i feel like and then it ends with that like every every step or every breath you take like mm-hmm. song and then it's like it goes and turns the camera over to the yeah. upside down and you see like the shadow monster still there you know kind of plotting whatever's coming next mm-hmm. and i mean i know Every Breath You Take is kind of overused for being like a right. creepy song sometimes, but it worked there. Yeah. Like they use that reputation, I think, well. No, I agree. Um, and there's some very on-the-nose music choices yeah. in the show, but it still works yeah. really well. Like, it, it's kind of in on the on-the-noseness yes. of it. It's like, not quite tongue-in-cheek, but also it, it does know. Right. It's it's like perfect. They thread that needle perfectly. Yeah. I mean, the, the tonal control of the show is ridiculous yeah it's so good um and once again that all lies with these guys the duffers um Mm. actually they're the biggest influence i've ever heard them talk about um they were on the nerdist podcast leading up the biggest influence i've ever heard them talk about is actually m night Shyamalan. huh huh yeah um now it's pretty obvious spielberg is in there too and carpenter um and so like thinking about it the big three from my perspective are spielberg carpenter and Shyamalan. yeah but they actually made a show with Shyamalan. um wayward pines, they made right? wayward pines yeah. 
And they talked about their first meeting with him. And he was like, this is great. This is everything I would do. And they were like, yeah, it's because we wrote it like you. Like they were like, we set out to rip you off. Yeah. So the fact that you're telling us that you love it means we did it. Like it means we accomplished our goal. Um, And, but I think in this, in this same way, their, their mission, you know, from what I've heard, Wayward Pines is pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I watched the first season. It was pretty good. Okay. Um, and they, you know, they, they, they know how to, in their mind, rip off these people in a really interesting way. And the reason I think that is, is because there's a built-in checks and balances. Now, mm-hmm. this is something you're going to be able to speak to far more than I have. <laughs> uh I have this theory that directing duos are doing better work a lot of the time than uh, solo directors. Mm-hmm. And my biggest point, case in point of that, uh, regardless of how things have shaken out for them recently, uh-huh. is Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Not brothers, but we'll get to that that aspect in a second. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller in the Jump Street movies and the Lego movie turned out maybe the three best comedies of the decade. <laughs> um yeah. They're, all three of them are great, um, and at least two of them have no right to be as good as they are. Um, and, and, but I think the reason for that is there's someone else there to bounce ideas off of, you know? Mm, yeah. It's, I mean, the Coens, right? Right, the Coens. The Russo brothers. The Russo brothers. The Dowdle brothers. They, mm. they, they're they lower on the totem pole. I really like them. They directed that movie, Stress the Movie. It's called No Escape. Uh, I think it's really well executed. They directed a great horror movie called As Above, So Below. They're directing... I didn't know this until I watched the first episode. They're directing that Waco show, hmm. uh, which I thought was the first episode was pretty solid. Um, and... The Wayans brothers. <laughs> um, well, the Zucker the Zucker brothers. Zucker brothers. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. They did freaking Airplane, one of the best comedies ever mm-hmm. made, you know? Um, there's something about a directing duo that I think when you blend those two voices into one... Yep there's a it feels more cohesive because there's more than one point of view being covered there mm-hmm. even though it's all one story and they're all shooting for one tone yep. when you can compromise and get a vision on it it feels way more complete than just like a guy i mean just speaking from experience exactly um so as someone who's worked yes, a lot with, behind the camera with mm-hmm. his brother right you know i will say especially for brothers mm-hmm um, this is not something that even refers to directing. I feel like we cover each other's bases. Yeah. Um, and we f- we fill in the blanks of the other person's mm-hmm. uh, faults. Right. And um, that goes a long way to making a, a great story or great anything. I know that, you know, just speaking personally, I'm not so into some of the, t- the technical details about the filming process or mm-hmm. whatever. I care more about the the story or the dealing with the actors or I, I know what I want out of a shot, but I don't know exactly how to go and do that. My brother is more into the technical things and I think that he knows how to go and execute what I want. Um, and so we fill in the, we fill in the gaps. Yeah. And I think that that is um, something that is born out of knowing somebody for such a long time that when you get to know someone, as long as we do, we specialize in things mm. and it's, 
this is kind of an economics concept, but it's comparative advantage. Like you go and specialize in the thing that you're really good at and the other side goes and specializes in what they're really good at. You actually have greater output than mm -hmm. you would if you're both just kind of mediocre at like all the things. Right. Um, so that's what happens. I right. think that demonstrates itself in film too. I mean, hell, uh, the podcast, right? I tried yeah. doing this by myself forever. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Those episodes are terrible. Yeah. Uh, when I got a co-host, infinitely better. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and, and there's just something about collaboration in general. But I think when it comes to brothers, I think a lot of it has to do with like, if you're a brother, if you're, if you're a set of brothers who are going to say, let's direct, mm -hmm. you've got to be really close. Yeah. So you've got to know the other person like the back of your hand. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not about to go direct anything with my brother. I love my brother. He's great. Awesome dude. We're at two different stages of our lives. Yeah. That dude is almost 50. <laughs> um, you know, like, that that would be ridiculous. But, you know, I think brothers who are close in age, uh, the Duffers are twins. Yeah. Um, very close in age. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that goes a long way of, like, if you grew up and had those same experiences together, you guys gravitated to those things. Mm -hmm. For the same reasons and different reasons. Like, you're still two separate people, right? right? And so because of that, you grew up with a lot of common interests, but you mm -hmm. both approach it from two different angles, even though you grew up close. Yes. Um, and it takes less time to explain things then. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you both kind of think along the same lines, maybe right. just a little bit differently. Right. Well, and then you can then, you know, process that and get when you're on set to the a set of actors yeah. it takes less time to explain then because exactly. you've explained it to each other gotten on the same page and now you can mm -hmm. both you can get just like kind of both sides of that yeah there's a certain add, efficiency yeah, to it yes exactly um so with that said the duffers are the heartbeat of this show yep. um this is their idea uh it's an idea i think they said they had even before wayward pines but they had no experience um we were Pines was their first project, I think, which is nuts to me uh, that they were like, I mean, I know Shyamalan's career was kind of like not in the best place when they approached him, but that's still a pretty big get when it's your first project, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, that's like saying the first podcast guest I ever had is kind of Chris Hardwick, you know, yeah. like that that's just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they lucked out and they went and were able to get this made at Netflix and Netflix basically said, look, we'll give you the money for this. You're on your own after that. Yeah. Uh, we will not market this for you. We will not do anything to promote it except cut a trailer. Everything else is up to you. We like this concept and we think it needs the money you're asking for. But the trade off here is you get to make the thing you want, how you want it, but you got to go sell it to the people too. Mm -hmm. And they did it, man. They did yeah. it. Uh, and because of that, they're able to execute this vision bigger in season two, better in season two, and bring in new voices in season two that are still respectful of the um, that process. They yeah. brought in some directors from the first one. They directed a few episodes. They got Andrew Stanton from Pixar to direct two episodes. Yeah. And they're two of the best episodes of the season, man. Yeah. Like, they're real good. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, they still broke the story in a writer's room. Every director remains completely faithful to the Stranger Things style yep. and verve. And there, it's just so, I know this is going to sound stupid because I'm talking about the collaborative nature of it, but it feels so singular. 
Yes. Um, you know, like they all came together to make this one vision happen. And there are stamps and they still found areas to leave their stamps on it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Like the, the collaboration they've been able to execute on this is outstanding. Yep. You go and contrast that. And this is not the best comparison. You go and contrast that though with like the new Star Wars movies. And those feel like disjointed affairs between completely different visions that clash. Right. And then this, you have different directors and writers for almost every episode has like a different set of writers. Yeah. And um, it doesn't feel like it's from a different show though. Right. And there's no production drama. Mm -hmm. Like you don't hear about any sort of behind the scenes BS happening. It's it's just done with such confidence. Yeah. For people who are relatively new at this. Yeah. That's the reason why I'm impressed with it. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Star Wars, I would like to see the Duffers take on a Star Wars live action series on that Disney streaming network after season four of Stranger Things is done. Yes. Uh, I think that would be a really smart move for them. I Originally, I was saying they should give them episode nine, but I don't want them to direct movies. But I think yeah. doing some sort of bit like give them a give them a marvel show give them a star wars show mm-hmm. i feel like it would be the best of either one of those yeah. um you know and th- these are guys that know how to tell sh- know how to tell stories through the medium of television mm-hmm. better than almost anyone out there save for i don't know vince gilligan yeah <laughs> um yeah, i was gonna say the same thing <laughs> you know that's about the only other one i could think of uh, on the comedy side, Michael Shore, the guy who did The Office and Parks and Rec and is doing uh, The Good, Good Place, Place right now. Because, yeah. um, I mean, that is the best show on television right now. Mm-hmm. The best the, the best half-hour comedy uh, in, like, a decade. Um, and, you know, th- those guys, uh, the Duffers stand right there with mm-hmm. them. If not, a little bit better than some of them. I, yeah, I'm tempted to say that they stand a little bit better. Yeah. Just from the standpoint that while the kids in these shows and Stranger Things are talented, you have to go and credit the directors and the mm-hmm. writers and the people, who, the showrunners, mm-hmm. for being able to go and guide them in a way that develops their talents. Right. Well, and I think, you know, um, with the, 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 the big three examples, Stranger Things, Breaking Bad, and The Good Place that I'm using, I think there's a certain clarity to the narrative Mm -hmm. that a lot of shows don't have i think vince gilligan knew where breaking bad was going to end up yep and just had to figure out how to get there Mm -hmm. i think the duffers know where stranger things is going to end up and he just got to figure out how to get there yeah i think michael shore knows how the good place is going to end up yeah and he's just got to figure out how to get there yeah uh i think that sort of starting at the end and working backwards is the perfect way to tell tell stories on television mm-hmm. um and i think there's there's because they know point point b mm-hmm. point a is a lot easier to start from oh yeah you know definitely uh and because of that they know how long they should be i feel like breaking bad is a the perfect length i feel like at the what 69 episodes or 64 mm. episodes or whatever is perfect for that show that's there isn't there isn't a lot wrong with that show you no. know there aren't too many filler episodes there's slow parts but yeah. 60 some odd episodes like mm. it's still good those characters yeah. are still great those performances are still great the good place consistently moves its narrative forward more than any of michael shore's other shows yeah. certainly but it's also got you know his other shows parks and rec and the office and stuff not shows that need a driving narrative through them the Mm -hmm. good place does 
And to see him kind of stretch like that is really nice. Um, Stranger Things is an ep- is a show that needs an endpoint. You know, it's yeah. it's it, it, this show doesn't work if they don't know where it's headed. If it's mm-hmm. just like weird stuff happening to teenagers till they're too old. Yeah, that's the thing. I agree <laughs> with you. I mean, just speaking also from personal experience again, the first thing I really had an idea for when I when I wrote my novel mm-hmm. um, was the ending, and then everything like what I wanted to get out of it, mm-hmm. and then you had to work backwards then from there. Like, how do I set up that ending? Yeah. And once you know the ending, that's when you can go and create the good stuff in the beginning. Right. Um, And that's something where I feel like, to take something that you talked about before, Lost, into consideration, I'm not really sure they knew exactly where it was going to end. Um, And part of that's because they were living under the conditions of ABC that... ABC didn't want to go and have it in because it was such a cash cow for a while. Right. And then finally they gave it an end date and that seemed to kind of give a little bit more drive and direction yeah. again. Um, but there's that shaky period in season two, three-ish yeah. where they kind of just seem like, well, where it's is... It's three and four. Yeah. Three and two is actually pretty solid, I think, in uh-huh. driving the narrative forward. Uh-huh. Three and four, four especially gets yeah. real rough. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, okay, yeah. where are we going with this? As someone who even yeah. likes that show, four is like, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, Why is this episode about Jack's I tattoos? Think, I think three, though... Three's the tattoo episode. Oh, okay. Um, three it, then. So it's three and four. Three, and three's when they went and announced that they were going to have an ending, I yeah. think, in six. Yeah. And I think four, you might see some stops and starts and them trying to figure out how to get to the end, yeah. which is another problem sometimes. Just yeah. Like the writer's block of, okay, I know the ending, but now how do I get there? Yeah. Um, but Stranger Things hasn't had that problem. Yeah. However, you know, I do think, I see issues with Stranger Things in the future. Okay. So, yeah, that's kind of what I want to end on is right. like, you know, I haven't kept up with a lot of season three news. Yeah. Um, other than I know it's coming. I know three and four are coming. Mm-hmm. That's when they want to end it. Um, so what do you see in the future of Stranger Things based on where we left off with season two? Right. This is where I think some of the criticism of season two might apply. Um, which is, I think that some people kind of felt like season two was beginning to get into a little bit of retread territory with that general plot, plot mm-hmm. that I described, which is, yeah, the first three episodes kind of introduced like another problem with the upside down. Mm-hmm. And then you have Eleven come and save the day. And, and then you have this introdu- introduction of the super-powered other kids that Eleven interacted with. Um, and the fact that they seem to be the only ones who can really contain the bad guys mm-hmm. from the upside down. I think there's a they run a risk of, in the third season, are they going to do that again? But this time it's just a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a couple more characters added. Or are they going to kind of do something else... Or maybe the upside down like really infects like this world or something like that. Mm-hmm. They have an opportunity to not just kind of do a little bit bigger and better, but do something a little bit different. They're gonna maybe find like a new candidate to kind of infect the world with the mm-hmm. way that Will was infected. Maybe uh, Max's brother or something like that. Right. Um, so there hasn't been like a lot of spoilers, but what I see the danger is in them just maybe doing another sequel that mm-hmm. kind of goes over the same ground again so what i see happening is i think these first two i feel like this is what we've seen is the beginning of a war yeah and i think we've seen the first kind of skirmishes of the war mm-hmm. and i think three is going to be all out right and four is going to be the resolution yes 
Um, so with that, I don't think you can go and do season one and two again. Mm-hmm. And I think the Duffers are smart enough to know that. But I think these first two seasons are super necessary because it's sort of, you Both know. Both sides are kind of like probing each other's yeah, weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I like about them. You know? Exactly. It's like the mind flare is kind of like trying to figure out an in. Yeah, exactly. But that's why I feel like the third season needs to be he he appears in the real world. Like to almost in the season or something like right. that. And I feel like I feel like it's headed that way, especially because yeah. we've seen glimpses of that. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, even the last shot of season two, right? Right. Um, you know, we see we see that it's still out there. Yeah. In season one, we don't see that ending. We see that something's still around. Mm-hmm. You know, we see Will vomit up the 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 baby Demogorgon. Mm-hmm. We don't really know it's a baby Demogorgon at the time. Yeah. We can we can infer that. But it's not like the same Demogorgon. Like we have confirmation that that one, like Scout Demogorgon, was defeated. Yeah. And so then whatever the escalation is from that had to step in in season two, mm-hmm. and now that thing is harder to kill. Yeah. You know we've put a bandaid on it, and but it's still out there. It's still lurking. We've seen it in the static on the television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think it's a matter of time. Yeah. With that thing. And then with the other superpowered kids, mm-hmm. uh, I think you got to add more. I mm-hmm. think you you know eventually you do have to have a team of them. I don't know how that works, but I think with by introducing that element, you have to have more than just the two. Um, this is the thing, though, is I think it runs the risk then of okay, we're now focusing on superpowered kids like Kid X Men versus mm-hmm. the kids that we grew up with and liked, right? And who are who don't have powers but still can contribute in vital ways, right? And so, how do you balance that? Right. Um, <clears throat> I think a longer season, but I think at this point, longer seasons are earned by this show. Uh-huh. Um, I think the fourth season might actually benefit from a thirteen episode arc. Yeah. Um, and I think that you can have Kid X Men go and infiltrate the Upside Down. And have the human characters back the upside down characters into a corner in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen a taste of that in season two, um, and I think that's the natural progression of that. Yeah. Um, so, and I think the Duffers are smart enough. If I can get there, the Duffers certainly can. Yeah. You know. Well, this is why, like you said, I trust them in the sense that I do think they have an Indian in mind because they've written. I don't know, like a how many page, 40 page, 100 yeah. page yeah. kind of Bible for what the upside down really is and all that stuff. Yeah, they have answers to those questions. Yeah, they have answers to them. And in some ways, I feel like if I was going to levy, not just play devil's advocate, but actually levy a criticism towards season two, I kind of want a little bit more answers with regards to how I actually things agree. were playing out. That, and I don't like how stupid Dustin was in regards to the baby death. Right. Those yeah. are about the only two criticisms I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think the third season, it's time to go and start giving some answers. Yeah. Of course, that's fraught with sometimes maybe those answers won't be satisfying to everyone. Right. It's kind of the reason why sometimes it's a double-edged sword when you kind of withhold answers for a long time. Yeah. But um, I trust these guys. Yeah. I, I, I'm not too worried about season three being disappointing Yeah. <laughs> um, at this point. I, you know, I would say I'm kind of cured of my cynicism. It seems mm. like the fandom's been pretty quiet lately. um since season two i don't know if it's because it was darker people seem to have enjoyed it just as much as the first season Mm -hmm. it seems like uh with the exception of episode seven um so i don't know why it's been like less of a thing lately um 
but I think season three is going to come back and you know, we'll be, I, I think we'll there's be in the cycle again. Yeah. We'll be yeah. in the cycle again. Hardcore. Um, I feel like season three is going to be the make it or break it season for them. Mm-hmm. I think everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, you know, here's some potential though for it to be great, which is it's going to be dealing with the kids entry in high school. Yeah. And I think that's a good opportunity to really go and develop them, flesh yeah. them out as actors yep. and do the slice of life stuff that I find really entertaining. Yeah. And have them maybe even grow apart in some ways. Yeah. I mean, um, and then maybe they do a 10, 11 episode season off of that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because <clears throat> that's how real friendships work is that, yeah. you know, you kind of find your own interests in high school. You grow up and you're not always the same person you were when you first were friends with somebody. Yeah. So I think that's like a good way to have some poignancy too yeah. to explore. So that's why I hope they go for Well, and you have the older kids going to college too. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're dealing with like yeah. Steve and Nancy and Jonathan and that mm-hmm. sort of love triangle which is one of the best i've ever seen yeah. uh which is crazy mm-hmm. um and you know their whole deal is they become adults yeah. you know not just as they enter into another phase of young adulthood but as they become full-fledged adults and now have to deal with yeah these adult problems um and the duffers are really good at writing those types of characters yeah um so i think they know that mm-hmm. um I think it's going to be really interesting to see where all this, like where it where it winds up. Yep. Um, I think there's a clear goal in mind, and I hope it's good. That's that's honestly what I think about that's all you can the say. future of Stranger Things. Um, last little bit, uh, we didn't get to talk about David Harbor is awesome. What a find, man! Awesome. Uh, he's been around. <laughs> It's funny, he was in Quantum of Solace as yeah. as like this like CIA henchman kind of lackey guy. Yeah. And I remember like watching Stranger Things the entire time, I'm like, this guy's so familiar. <laughs> and then I remembered him from that. Whoa, this guy hit the big time. What yeah. the heck? Yeah. Um that dude, he's got such a natural approach to his performance. It's I've never seen anyone feel that comfortable in a character, man. Yeah. He's very lived in. Yeah, he wears that character like a freaking suit. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Um, he's so good. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've said this before on the podcast. I know I've said it to you several times before, but, like, he's making me give a damn about Hellboy. Yeah. I wasn't that excited about, like, I'm fine with Hellboy. He's fine. I think he looks cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't, I've never read the comics. I like the second movie. Uh, that's about it. You know, um, when I heard they cast him, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. sure, I guess. And then I saw the picture and I was like, he looks kind of B.A. Yeah. And then I saw Stranger Things 2 and I was like, oh, man, I want to go yeah. see this Hellboy movie, aren't I? <laughs> like, I'm going to be pretty excited about it, too, yeah. because, man, he's good. <laughs> um, And then, like. I'm really glad Winona Ryder's back. I she gets a lot of crap for being the weakest part, but yeah. I think she I think she's fine. I've always liked her though. I think the second season, uh, she goes and proved her worth. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think she gives a lot of she gets a lot of flack for the first season, and I kind of agree with some of the shrillness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also goes and sells the drama. Of, yeah. of a mother looking for her son. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. How else a mom would be acting in that situation? Yeah, it would be weird if she was calm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I So, she's good. Um, I'm just glad she's, like, back. Yeah. I've always liked her. I've always been drawn to, like, watching her and stuff. 
Um, I like watching her give uh, an Emmy acceptance speeches too. Oh man, that was so great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've sort of always been, maybe it's the Lydia Dietz thing, you know. Mm. Uh, I've always been kind of into weird chicks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I think that, like, that still is coming through um, now that she's older. And it's still compelling to me. Uh, so, actually, when I missed her name in the credits the first time I watched it, and when she showed up, I was like, freaking Renona Ryder! So I got so excited! <laughs> Um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you listened to this far, uh, mm. but if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's freaking great. It's hands down the best Netflix original series. Oh, God, Like, yeah. by, by a mile, by a country mile. Mm-hmm. Um, it, oh, well, before you close it out, we need to say mm, one more thing. What? The theme song. Oh, yeah. The intro is oh, yeah. so good. If you skip the intro, you deserve the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm actually ticked off that I see that symbol there. It, it's I want to like, go away. Yeah. But no. Yeah. It's <laughs> you shouldn't give somebody that option. Yeah. Okay. I'm I agree. That, that Well, and that intro is so cool too, man. Yeah. Did you see that video of how they made it? Yes. It was so awesome. Yeah. They're like... Basically made it analog style, which yeah. is cool. And then digitized it. Yeah. So it's this, like, it's awesome. There's a video online of how they made the title sequence. And it's way more interesting than the it title. Sounds. Yeah, <laughs> than it sounds. And, like, way more work into it went into it than it seems like should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the care that went into it and the mm-hmm. craft goes and demonstrates how the rest of the show is constructed. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then that, yeah, that survive song is just aces, man. Mm-hmm. It was that intro, that Demogorgon eating the dude intro into the like theme song. It was just like, yeah, all yeah. right. Well, that's the one two punch I needed to be incredibly into this thing. Yes. I'm watching prestige television. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Man, it's good. Um, that's it. We'll be back in a couple weeks. We'll probably be talking Black Panther. Um, probably pretty sure. Uh, I don't actually know when the official release date of that is. February question mark? Yeah. Um, we might have something in between then. Um, but uh, for local listeners, uh, local meaning Bakersfield, California. I don't know how many of you knew that. Um, Bakersfield, California, for non-local listeners, is just above Los Angeles. Um, and just over the grapevine there. Um, we're kind of the the base of the Central Valley, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this thing about Bakersfield. I like Bakersfield. It's my hometown. I grew up here. I was born here. I've never lived anywhere else. Um, we don't have very good arts scene here at no. all. Uh, we also have this great theater called the Fox Theater. It's mm-hmm. this 1930s movie palace. We play a lot. We have a lot of concerts there. Not huge names. Every once in a while, we'll get someone pretty big. Um, Joe Rogan's going to be here uh, in a couple weeks at the at the Fox. Um, you know, that's a pretty relevant name right now. Um, but one of the things that's great about the Fox is uh, it's a movie house. It's a movie palace. It's got this great history. It's got this awesome marquee with these neon lights and this huge clock tower. It's this really cool venue. Uh, I go to a lot of concerts. I love concerts. Uh, worked in concert production at Buck Owens' nightclub for three years uh the fox is like my second favorite venue that i've ever been to um outside of the Fillmore in san francisco 
it's this cool theater. It's got these twinkle lights in the ceiling so that when the lights are dim, it looks like you're looking up at the night sky. It's great. It's got this great vibe. You know, you walk in, it's got this sort of, uh, like, uh, Spanish-style thing mm-hmm. going on. Um, there's a balcony, uh, and it's it's a cool place. And they've started showing movies there again, which is awesome because that was the intent of it to begin with. And so uh, it's something that they had done not often um i'd seen a few movies there there's there's a local um foreign film society called flicks that shows foreign films there every fall uh through the winter and that was about it for film culture in bakersfield uh or or uh it's called repertory cinema which means you know older films that was it in the summer they take three weeks out of the month uh in july i think and they show movies for a dollar um on saturday mornings for but it's only for three weeks uh one of the first dates i had with my wife was we went to see raiders of the lost ark for a dollar at a 1930s movie house and it was awesome it was a great experience um i'd never seen raiders in a theater before and to see it in this you know movie house was great um i saw casablanca there uh last valentine's day almost at halloween um but now we're starting in earnest to try and show more movies there there's a whole schedule of movies that they're they're going to be showing um they started showing it this month with office space they've shown the searchers and this monday february 5th they're going to be showing the big lebowski february 12th they're going to be showing gone with the wind and the schedule goes on on and on from there um you can look them up on facebook and find what movies they're showing uh the reason i'm telling you all this is because one i desperately want you to support this i think you should support this either way regardless of my involvement however i am involved uh i approached the the fox about doing introductions to the films and they agreed and they're gonna let me do that and i'm gonna be doing that for every movie except gone with the wind uh, I won't be there that night, I don't think. It's going to be really awesome. Uh, you guys should know by now, I really love film history. I love, uh, you know, providing context for the films we watch. I think as we get further away from older movies, the less our culture likes to engage with them. And that makes me sad because there's a lot to learn from them. Uh, and I think the only thing you're going to do is get a deeper appreciation for cinema. By watching older movies now big lebowski is only 20 years old but you know the, the series is that's called... just like your opinion man <laughs> solid um <clears throat> but it is the 20th anniversary this year of the big lebowski and it's a it's the series is called cults and classics and it is certainly a cult classic uh anyway you slice it even if you don't like the movie it's a cult classic um and i'm gonna be doing an, an introduction uh providing some context about the movie maybe shedding some new light on the movie for those who have seen it, you know, 20, a dozen uh, times, 20 dozen times. Um, And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, man. In addition, uh, there is going to be a pop culture art gallery opening in the Fox Theater that's going to be available for you to peruse before the movies. It's called Bubble Pop Art Gallery. Um, Not sponsoring the podcast in any way, just good friends of the show that I want to help support. Um, uh, it's it's being run by Say Lively from Say Studios and sponsored by Jim Burke Ford. Once again, 
not uh not sponsoring the show just something i want to give a shout out to they are actually opening this friday february 2nd uh it's this thing we have downtown called first friday um so they'll actually be open friday for you to go and look at i'll be there um i will be there the the art is really cool pop culture related art from artists here locally and from across the country um who've sent pieces in uh i'm not sure if prints or anything are going to be available for purchase but we'll find out together uh this friday night and then every every time they have one of the cults and classics showing at the fox go to the bakersfieldfox.com and you can find all of the showings tickets are only five dollars so for five dollars you can come watch me introduce a movie uh that maybe you've seen a bunch before and you learn something new or Maybe it's their first time seeing it. Maybe it's your first time seeing it in the theater. Uh, and you'll get to hear me talk about it. And it's going to be great. May 12th, uh, I think. May 18th, I think. They're showing Jaws. Uh, Jaws is my favorite film of all time. Uh, you should know this by now. It's also a week before my birthday. Um, so I'm going to get to stand on the stage with my second favorite venue ever. And talk about my favorite movie ever right before I turn 30. Uh, if you guys could make it out to that, I would very much appreciate that. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good time. I'm crazy excited about that one. I'm going to get to introduce Ghostbusters, American Graffiti, Footloose. Um, you know, so, some some movies that are, that are beloved and maybe you haven't had the chance to see before. So come out. Uh, it's $5. I'm going to be plugging this like a madman because I think it's really great. I want it to succeed. I want it to go more than one season. I would like to do, you know, I'd like to see this thing take off. Um, I'd like to do weirdo double features with it. Uh, I'd like to show movies that are maybe off the beaten path that don't necessarily pack in the seats, but then we'll turn around and show another one that will pack in the seats. I want this thing to be as successful as humanly possible because I really want Bakersfield to have something like this. I think it's great. Uh, I know I'm going kind of long on this, but I really, 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 really want you guys to check it out um, because I think it's it's going to be... If we make this successful, we'll make it successful together. Tell your friends, tell your family, take your parents to see a movie that they love on the big screen. Um, you know, I kind of wish I had, uh, my dad's not super into John Wayne movies, but I kind of wish I had seen The Searchers with my dad on the big screen. Um, you know, just, just I think it's a, a really cool experience and we can make it a really good night out for everyone um, if we support it. And the only way we're going to get it to be successful is if you come out pay your five dollars it's five dollars man for a movie it's five dollars that's outrageous it's so low uh you know i i we got to see friday the 13th on friday the 13th sitting in row 13 of the fox theater uh in a packed movie house uh it was great as the first time i'd seen it had a really good time with that audience not a slasher film guy at all really fun time at the movies man it's a movie that made me actually kind of turn around on slasher movies because I realized their best experience in a theater full of people. Um, you know, so maybe come and learn something. Come and watch an old favorite. Watch a new favorite. Uh, just come. Uh, watch movies with me. You'll get to watch a movie with me uh, at the very least. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Bakersfield Fox. TheBakersfieldFox.com. That's where all your dates and details will be found. This is the longest I'm going to talk about it ever, but I will be talking about it kind of a lot. So... Now that I've spent way too long talking about it, Mike, what uh, what do you have to plug? If you want to go and see how I write stuff, 
You're welcome to go and buy The Aurora War on Amazon.com, which is a fantasy action-adventure war novel. Nice. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter, at MJSmith891, on Instagram, at MJSmith891. Uh, subscribe here um, to this podcast on iTunes. I also write for wordofthenerd.com and keithlovesmovies.com. I haven't written there for a while, but uh, still still on staff there, technically. Um my first long-form review in a while is going to be Black Panther. So we're going to do a podcast on it for sure because um, it's a Marvel thing. Also, it, I really want to talk about Creed. <laughs> um, I, I have yet to podcast in full on that movie. Um, and uh, I want to watch Creed again. <laughs> and uh, so we'll, we'll we'll be talking about the films of Ryan Coogler, by which we mean Creed, um, <laughs> and, and Black Panther uh, in a couple weeks. But... Yeah, uh, let people know that you can find them. You can find me at the Fox uh, every other Monday or two Mondays a month. BakersfieldFox.com. Google it. Like them on Facebook. Uh, check out Bubble Pop Art Gallery. Check out the Aurora Roar. Aurora War. Really hard to say, man. Yeah, it is. Um, I never thought about it. Three times fast. The rural juror. Yeah, that's it. Uh, until next time, we're the bad guys. That's the Twilight Zone theme song. We're the Demigorgon. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs>